Good morning. Today's scripture is taken from Isaiah and Luke, starting with Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 to 3. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, and the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called the Oaks of Righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. Verses 8 to 11. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels, for as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the Sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. And then moving to Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 49. Mary's Song And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. Good morning. Oops. Good morning, everyone. First, obviously, I want to just say it's what an exciting morning. <laughs> uh, yes, amazing. That was really beautiful. Thank you for sharing your stories. And um, your faith and sharing your life, your, your faith life with us as a community, although this has been, a, obviously, we haven't been able to be in the same room for a long time. Um, we do miss you, and uh, this is, yeah, and it was just beautiful, and we're excited to continue living uh, your faith life uh, with you and alongside of you, and uh, yeah, just amazing. Below all expectation... That's who I was, or at least who I felt like I was all through elementary school. In grade one and two, apparently I showed some artistic promise. There's one picture I drew of dinosaurs that uh, I'd like to share with you. Uh, this is uh, my piece de resistance I drew in grade one. And like the proud mama bear that she is, my mom has it framed and on display uh, in her well-curated uh, gallery. This is a memory of me at the height of my prowess. I think because of this artistic edge, uh, a test that I took in grade two misdiagnosed me as academically gifted. And so in grade three, I began my journey in the gifted program, a 10-year journey of always being the bottom 
of the academic and the social ladder, of treading water in a culture that exalts the top of the class while I was always on the bottom. This is what we celebrate, though, isn't it, in our culture? The top of the class. Top 30 leaders under 30, the most influential, the valedictorian, the most popular blogger, YouTubers, musicians, expecting all sorts of amazing things from the creme of the creme de la crop, looking to the smartest and the brightest, and, well, let's be honest, the richest, to be the ones who drive the ship of our culture and of our communities. Our hope lies in the top of the top. Which means that our expectations of those who are ordinary, or average, or below average, well, our expectations are pretty low. We don't expect the average or below average person to be a place where extraordinary emerges. As a human race, it's always been this way. Those deemed extraordinary are lifted up and put in charge, and those deemed ordinary or Either they complacently accept this reality or they dream of being that diamond in the rough, the underdog who can rise out of the lowly state. Of course, as is seen in many Walt Disney movies, the dream is not to rise up in their ordinariness. The dream is to be found extraordinary and to rise out of their ordinary surroundings, which was never where they belonged to begin in the first place. And now, saved from their humble beginnings, they can finally marry princes and queens and live the extraordinary life of power and privilege and occasionally do so with enough compassion to care for those poor, ordinary people from whom they came. This is the human dream, but this is not God's dream. In much Christian art throughout the centuries, as you see in the the image of Mary that we've been uh, using, I believe we have uh, that image for you, yeah. It's seen in uh, all Christian thought, a lot of Christian art throughout the centuries, Mary is depicted in this same way. The poor peasant girl who was raised out of ordinariness to be a beautiful, picturesque queen. Rich, beautiful, flowing robes with blues and golds. Perfect complexion. Always society's perfect age of beauty. The reality, of course, is that Mary would have been, well, ordinary. What we know of her would suggest that she was a poor peasant woman like 90% of the Jews under the oppression of the Roman Empire. She would have spent her days doing something like 10 hours a day of household chores, living a life of hard labor, her family struggling to pay Rome's ridiculously high taxes. And like other girls her age, she was pledged to be married. Although you wouldn't call it engaged so much as sold. Like all Jewish girls, she would have been sold by her parents to to Joseph's parents. And in the engagement period, she was essentially already married. They were just waiting for the check to clear. But sadly, like all women at the time, and like too many women today, She was an oppressed group within an oppressed group. What's more, she would have seen many different attempts of revolt to rise up around her by zealous groups of Jews attempting to take down Rome. She would have seen them rise and fail 
again and again and again. And because there is no human hope for her, for her clan to rise above the state, she would have a very real and practical understanding that God was her, was her family's, and her nation's only hope. Her song was a song of freedom for the poor, only possible through God the Lord, their Savior. Unless God raised up a Messiah, a king to defeat the oppressors, they would remain as they are. Without God bringing a Messiah king, there was no raising beyond their ordinariness. And then, as we know, Yahweh, the God of her people, sends a messenger to her in Luke 1. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and we will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. God had chosen ordinary Mary to be the mother of the coming king, the promised descendant of King David to restore God's people, to break the bonds of oppression, and to reclaim the throne. And for a brief period of time, Mary's life was filled with the unexpected. She became pregnant without ever having sex. That's pretty unexpected. Her husband, Joseph, knows he isn't the father, and yet he still chooses to marry her, and by doing so, he's actually claiming that this baby was his, that she wasn't a single uh, mother with a child. It was his child, that by saying he'd marry her, he was claiming that it was his. This is not ordinary. This is extraordinary behavior, because Joseph, too, had heard a message from God. And of course, there's angels and there's shepherds and the magi, all of these amazing things that Mary holds in her heart. But then the fairy tale ends. It's fleeing to Egypt because uh, they need to escape the slaughter of Israel's children by a crazed puppet king. And no, not like a puppet puppet, but like a guy who is being controlled by the Roman Empire. They return home when it's safe, but when they return, they don't return to the life of a queen and a prince and king. They come back to the same life that they've always lived. Hard labor, raising kids, paying taxes. And this kid, who is supposed to be the anointed king, who's supposed to rise up and usurp the powers that be and restore the kingdom of the Jews, he's an ordinary son of a carpenter by appearances. In fact, he doesn't appear to be ordinary. He actually seems to be less than ordinary. I mean, in their culture, a 30-year-old single Jewish male, by all normal social expectation, he himself should have been married long enough to have kids who were old enough to get married. I wonder as Mary is a mother of the son, this whole, for 30 years she's carrying this promise and waiting and waiting and her single son 
I wonder if he, when he was in grade one, if he painted nice pictures of dinosaurs. I mean, he created dinosaurs. He must have been able to draw a picture of them, I suppose. But I can see, I can just see this conversation around their Passover dinners. You know, as Jesus is like, you know, past the marriage prime of 16, on to 17, 18, 19, and so on. Passover dinners, everyone's talking about their marriages and their life and their, their kids. And Aunt Elizabeth says, Jesus, when are you going to settle down with a nice Jewish girl? Is there anyone special in your life? Oh, I know this nice girl from the synagogue who'd be perfect for you. Can you just picture this? And his mother, of course, rolling her eyes and making sarcastic jokes about how nice it would be to have another grandchild. <laughs> Do you actually, anyway, although I'm obviously just kidding... The reality was that Jesus, as a male pushing 30, he was below all expectations. To the point that when he did start performing signs and teaching, his whole town, even his family, were all thinking, isn't that guy just, that's just Jesus, the son of Joseph and Mary. He's a nobody. Like, what's going on? And I wonder how Mary felt. What did she store in her heart? Her son was born when she was a virgin, promised by a glorious angel of God to be the Messiah, was the less than ordinary single childless 30-year-old who hasn't lifted a finger to bring down the powers of Rome. By all appearances, Jesus didn't live up to her expectations, but he lived far below them. One of my favorite Bible stories is the story of the wedding at Cana. Jesus and his fisherman buddies are go to this wedding, and Mary is there, which suggests that likely all of the family is there. And the drinking must have been pretty heavy, because all of the wine that was supposed to last through the whole party gets drunk pretty early in the night, or in the wedding. And of course, that's what happens when you invite that son of Joseph, the carpenter guy with his fisherman drinking buddies. So Mary sees this and she says to Jesus in what I think is probably one of the funniest, most passive-aggressive lines in the whole Bible. Ah, Jesus, they have no wine. Jesus goes, Mom, why did you say that? Why are you involving me? My hour hasn't come yet. And then, of course, another hilarious passive-aggressive response. Mary just ignores him and says to the servant, Dad, do whatever he tells you. I love this. Like any mom, Mary's like, you know what? I know you've got this in you. Live up to your potential, kid. It's time. <laughs> and Jesus, he first says to his mom, he's not going to do it. He seems to change his mind. He performs his first recorded miracle of turning water into wine. It was at this moment where the narrative shifts. The disciples become to believe in him, and he begins this amazing ministry of proclaiming good news to the poor, freeing captives, healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, of miracles and wonders. And something about this moment took Mary, his mother, drawing it out of him. Having waited for 30 years herself. And of course, though, as the story progresses, it turns out that the ministry of Jesus, the Messiah, actually still isn't what Mary expected. It still isn't what the Jews expected. Instead of defeating the powers of oppression through revolt, he instead dies at the hands of his oppressors. He lives out and shows us that true life and freedom comes not through the ways of human power, but through sacrifice, living among the powerless and the poor, revealing the extraordinariness 
and the ordinary, but this is not what anyone expected. Something's out of the seemingly ordinary, but actually extraordinary. That's who Jesus was. Though, of course, he was the Son of God, fully God and fully human. But Mary, although she was just fully human, this is also who Mary was. With her prayer, be it done to me according to your word, out of the seemingly ordinary comes the extraordinary. It's who Mary was. And it's who we are. It's who you are. Mary was God-bearer. In Jesus, God physically lived in her and was born through her. But you who know and love Jesus, you too have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. And like Mary, you are a God-bearer. God dwelling in you and being born through you in the everyday ordinariness of life. God is doing the unexpected. And by unexpected, I mean doing his work through things that fall short of human expectation. Too often we disregard those who fall short of our expectations. Instead, we look to people of power, of education, of charisma to be saved. Even our missions were like that. We would send the rich from rich countries to go save the poor people. But the way that God actually works is to shed power, to become humble and holy, to raise people from below rather than lifting from above, which means coming down from heaven to raise us up. And we should not write off those who fall short of human expectations, for they are the very people who God lifts up to change, and to save the world. Now, I'm excited this morning. We're going to hear uh, well, more from Jen Chrisman, who baptized our friends this morning. As, we'll heal, as we will hear, Jen's story is one of the unexpected, of the unexpected ways God used her and of the salvation of Jesus leading to the raising up of the poor in the slums of the Philippines. And as we heard through testimony, Jen, though a single childless woman, is a mother to many. Yeah, yeah, get a pause. That wasn't expected, right? But this is God doing amazing things in unexpected ways. As Jen would say, she is a bit of an unlikely missionary, or was, uh, when Spring Garden commissioned her in 1992. God may have known what he was doing, though. After about 25 years in the Philippines teaching at Faith Academy, working with Dawn for the Poor and managing a center, she's back now and she's managing the OMF Mission Home here in Toronto. So let's listen and hear what, what and who comes to mind when Jen reflects on Mary's song, The Magnificat. When God called me to work at Faith Academy in the Philippines, it looked like a definite move down. No fat paycheck, no classy holidays, just being a poor missionary teacher. But we know that the kingdom of God turns the empires of this world on their heads. 
So what I thought was a dramatic drop turned out to be the treat of teaching at Faith Academy in high school heaven. Then, 10 years later, he called me to step up to work full-time with the poor instead of just volunteering with them. It must be Saturday morning. I can hear the tapping at the gate and the voices of children. I enjoyed giving our cardboard, tin cans and plastic to the recycle guys each week. They reminded me of my new boss, Fred. He grew up in Welfareville slum and at the age of 10, began working at the nearby dump each morning. He would collect plastic and receive a dollar or two so his widowed mom could buy rice for them for breakfast. Years later, after committing his life to Jesus at a youth camp for sponsored teens, he finished a computer degree and then went on to do a Master's of Theology and then became the Executive Director of Dawn for the Poor. His girlfriend Mimi grew up in a laneway not far away. She took over the youth mentorship and sponsorship programs from him. Both Fred and Mimi tutored me in Tagalog language, and after a few years, they asked if they could adopt me as their second mom. <laughs> Not without an official certificate, I replied. So they had one made for me for Christmas that year. They were challenging children, though. Mimi once texted me, May God give you the spirit of a servant every morning and the daily strength, ability, and perseverance you need to live for him. Hugs. Enjoy your day. I texted back, Mimi, you sound like St. Paul. Within minutes, her responding text said, For that is my desire, Mom, to always live in the spirit, just like the desire of Paul. So God will be exalted in my life and people will praise him for what he has done. That's challenging to parent, isn't it? But what a treat to be adopted by godly young leaders. The mighty God has done great things for me, and his mercy will reach from age to age. Holy is his name. After Fred and Mimi were married, I was sitting next to Fred at a simple house church in a more rural community, behind a limestone quarry. I noticed him quietly put thousands of pesos in the offering bag and whispered to him, Fred, did you win the lottery? <laughs> no, he replied, I'll tell you later. The truth was that on their wedding night, he and Mimi counted up all the money that friends and family gave them for their wedding and calculated the tithe. It was too much for any one house church, so they were visiting many and sharing their tithe. Oh my, their huge faith certainly challenged mine. Could I trust Jesus enough to do a similar thing and tithe the inheritance I had received from my mom? As I helped to host the training events for youth leaders and camp counselors, I learned so much about mentoring. If you were a teen and not yet a leader, you were considered a potential leader. Camps were the places where teens got a few days out of the slum, played games on real grass, led worship, competed in the Bible quizby, and ate meals with all-you-can-eat rice. Lives were changed. Many received Christ each year, while others rededicated their lives to him and serving him.
He has lifted up the humble. He gives grace to the humble. Teens return to their slum areas after camp to lead the children's programs, and the elementary kids were then encouraged to go home and share what they learned with their younger siblings and friends. Over the years, as children and teens moved up through their sponsored schooling, they began to get good jobs in health, teaching, banking, and business. They inspired the ones still in school to persevere and aim high. They also organized their own alumni camp with all the experience they had leading others. Now, how would they begin to actually impact their colleagues in their new workplaces? He has filled the hungry with good things. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. Lisa was a preschool teacher in Welfareville for many years. On Sundays, she led a house church in the alleyway outside her home because there was no room inside for more than a few friends to visit. She modeled how to lead singing, read scripture, pray and serve a simple communion. She assisted others to start doing the same and then watched as they took the lead. As neighbors received Jesus, she and others baptized the ones they had discipled. Ambo was a college guy who struggled with academics, but who discipled many youth. So he had the honor of baptizing them in the Faith Academy swimming pool one Saturday. Other young leaders did the same. Over the years, those few house churches of the late 1900s grew. Now, some of them used their tithes to do outreach to other slum areas and reached out in six poor communities. Some of those house churches have folded or died. But at last count, 79 house churches are still thriving with over 140 leaders and potential leaders. More and more teens and adults are now affirming that song of Mary. For the mighty God has done great things for me and his mercy will reach from age to age. Holy is his name. During COVID, Dawn for the Poor has been able to take groceries to over 800 families who have been in lockdown, plus provide a few thousand dollars of aid for the 44 families of the TB patients in their care. Recently, after several typhoons destroyed homes and flooded other neighborhoods, more food has been delivered to those in greatest need. House church leaders know who needs the help the most and so they contact the mums when the van is going to arrive. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. Holy is his name. As we wait for his return, let's remember Jesus' words regarding true riches. Come, take your inheritance, he said to the sheep on his right. Whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. We're told that the way is narrow that leads to life. It reminds me of the bridge I had to cross at 4 a.m. one morning en route to a wedding. I didn't think it was built for more than pedestrians, but Mimi insisted. She got out and led me with her cell phone light. Hmm, how appropriate. As she finishes her master's in biblical counseling, 
She's helping to lead many through the dark and along the narrow path that leads to life. As we look forward to the second coming of Christ, Mimi and Fred with their son Alab are a few of the ones at the top of those stairs in the kingdom of God. He is their strength and their song and has become their salvation. And next year, as Dawn for the Poor celebrates 25 years of God's faithfulness to the poor, they're planning to train more leaders for more slum areas in other cities to plant more churches and hopefully disciple thousands who will transform their communities. I'm one of their cheerleaders and advocates. Can I hold on to the promise that Jesus made at the end of his story about the shrewd I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. In God's upside down kingdom, it's the poor of the world like Mimi and Fred, who have received great faith, and theirs will be the great reward. Perhaps it's a bit selfish of me, but my long-term goal, along with many of you, is to hang out in some of those amazing mansions when we spend eternity on the new earth. I wonder if we have enough faith to trust him for that and invest our time and our resources in his kingdom work. What, what would that look like? The poor of the Philippines are supposed to just live under the system. But Christ enters in, and as people come to know him in their ordinariness, the extraordinary begins to happen, and the lowly are raised up, and the poor are fed. It's, it's an amazing story and an amazing um, reality of what God is doing, the extraordinary things that God is doing in the ordinariness of life. The transformation of our world isn't just a job for the powerful, for the over-the-top talented, but for everyday ordinary us to respond to the salvation of our God with his presence as God-bearers in the world. I want to end um, our time as the band comes up with something uh, written by a man named Ephraim the Syrian. And I thought this was appropriate considering just the area of the world that he, he came from. Many of us have never heard of him because he is a voice from the Eastern Church uh, from in the early centuries. A voice that we Western Christians tend to not be that aware of. And he actually wrote all of his theology in song, which is something I, I think is awesome. And this is from one of his hymns on the Nativity. A wonder is your mother. The Lord entered her and became a servant. He entered able to speak, and he became silent in her. He entered her thundering, and his voice grew silent. He entered shepherd of all, and a lamb he became in her. He emerged bleating. The womb of your mother overthrew the orders. The establisher of all entered as a rich one and emerged poor. He entered her a lofty one. He emerged humble. He entered her a radiant one. And he put on a despised hue and emerged. 
He entered mighty warrior and he put on fear. Inside her womb he entered as nourisher of all and he acquired hunger. He entered the one who gives drink to all and he acquired thirst. Stripped and laid bare, he emerged from her womb, the one who clothes all. Amen.